You are listening to Absent Minded, brought to you by HabsEyesOnThePrize.com. Hello and welcome to the final episode of the Absent Minded Top 25 Under 25 for this year. It has been an enormous pleasure to guide you through these episodes. And for this final, I am joined by none other than Matt Drake of Bottom Six Minutes fame. Yes. And we're, we're getting real, real close to having more Bottom Six Minutes soon. Yeah, you were going to do the Bottom Six Minutes in for for the Prospect game and for uh, for the warm-up games as well, Matt, aren't you? Yeah, as soon as I get to the rookie tournament, I'm going to record some for those. I feel like... Uh... I think the, the Habs are going to have so many players available at this one. There should be a lot for us to talk about in those games. And, of course, after an interesting um, Classico in Sweden with Malmö and Gothenburg, where Anton and I still talk about to each other because it ended in a draw, Anton. It was an amazing atmosphere, and it was an actually very good game. Yeah, it was. It was lovely to be there at the stadium, and I was sitting next to two guys from Gothenburg, so... I got to hear about uh, all the things that Malmo did uh, did bad, and I got to tell them all that was wrong with Gothenburg, my birth city. So it was wonderful. And uh, but let's talk some hockey instead. Yeah, let's go with that because no one really cares about Swedish football outside Sweden. Um, we are here to do a new feature. Then, when you listen to this, the article will have been published. But we're putting together an all-star team for the top 25 under 25 where we take the top player and put them in a sort of same position as they should be and it, by that case we get about what 12 18 19 21 names to go with that so of course some people will be left out but on the other hand we'll have a really good lineup and maybe a lineup that we can look at uh, a couple of years down the line and see who stayed and who didn't uh, for a first line match, we got Cowfield, Suzuki, and Indach on the on the wing. This could be a potential opening night first line for Montreal Canadiens. Um, it absolutely could. I mean, they used that last year. I think that that was probably. I think most people would agree, anyways, was the most successful version of the top line that they had was when Doc was on that wing. Now they moved him off uh, before Caulfield even got hurt out of necessity. They needed centers elsewhere in the lineup, so. I think I think this year, if they can stay a little bit healthier, this could be an option that they could look at uh, more consistently. I think Caulfield Suzuki, they need a little bit of size in that other wing. They need somebody that can kind of dig pucks out in the corners, and and Doc provides that. Uh, I, I'm not sure if it's the ideal thing for them to run regularly this season, but I would not even be slightly surprised if it ends up being the opening night top line uh, because they know it works, right? They know that there's some chemistry there, and they know that they can create offensively, and they know that Doc provides something that the other two need. So, uh, yeah, I wouldn't be even the slightest bit surprised if they run that on uh, on night number one. That's a r- line with a lot of hockey IQ, Anton. Uh, do you agree with Matt? Considering uh, considering how it looked last season, um, we we want um, the newly signed Cole Caulfield to be Nick Suzuki's first mate for for the uh, like foreseeable future. And and as Matt was saying, Kirby Dawkins adds a lot of interesting elements to to that line. He uh, took a lot of great steps last season, and and if he can build on that, whether it be 
through the middle or or as a winger um as he he adds uh both size and uh and uh secondary scoring ability um so i think he would complement a 57 suzuki and a 510 511 uh no 57 caulfield and a 511 suzuki quite well 511 caulfield would be fun if he just magically became 511 yeah exactly well it would be fun if nick suzuki suddenly was 57 as well what we can see here is also Dach maybe taking, in that case, a little bit more of a defensive responsibility. Um, is that really to utilize his his strength to, to the best of the team's interest? Well, to the best of the team's interest, obviously, but the best to Dach's interest, maybe. I mean, he's going to have some defensive responsibility if he's playing in the middle as well. Even if you bump him down, he's second or even third line center. There's, there's going to be a measure of defensive responsibility that he's going to have to show in order to stay at that position. If anything, if the team is more worried about his defensive abilities, they might be best served keeping him on the wing, putting him on that, that trio with Caulfield and Suzuki. And their job would be very similar to what it was last year, which is just go out there and create offense. If they're not worried, if they do think that he can handle uh, a little bit more defensive responsibility, I would suggest keeping him at center in that case. Looking at a second line, uh, in this case would be Slav, uh, Kovsky, Newhook, and Rua. I mean, I know you want Rua on the top line, Matt, but, uh, but that's a pretty decent line anyway. It is a pretty decent line. Um, I, I think Newhook at center is, is a little bit awkward. I might advocate for bumping him up and uh, and putting Doc as the center on that second line. But that being said, we know that he can play center. Um, Juraj Slavkovsky, I'm not sure. what like, I think they tried a number of different configurations with him last year, and I'm not sure what's going to work best. This could be something that works. Uh, those are two players he's never had a chance to play with before, so it would be a, a breath of fresh air, so to speak. Give him a chance to play with people that he's never played with before. And maybe that gets him going. I mean, Joshua Hua is uh, one of the best playmakers uh, that we've ever seen coming out of the QMJHL. He can find players all over the place. If Slavkovsky can just, you know, get to those uh, high percentage areas, Joshua Hua will find him. Uh, and I, I think that could be something that really gets him going. And he's somebody that the Habs need to get going. Uh, they didn't draft him first overall to have him play in the bottom six uh, like he was at a number of times last year. So I think that they need to look for something like that they need to look for something like what we've got in this all-star team here where he can get the right kind of players to facilitate him uh having some progression and being able to play in that top six yeah obviously you're 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 also playing him for the future right so you want to make him develop into that kind of first line well at least top six guy who can be a force uh down the wing for for a number of years um we've seen uh josh anderson really come to come to his own as a 28 year old now uh if slav can become josh anderson plus uh eight nine years earlier that would be great for the future and you don't you don't develop him properly by just giving him fourth line third line minutes you need to give him uh, an offensive role where he can really shine because we've seen uh, especially with slovakia um at the international stage that he can be uh, a real force uh, in a, in a senior setting um with high quality opponents he just needs the chance to prove it on also prove it on on a night to night basis obviously it's not it's not easy coming into a league where you have to play 82 games per season. It's it's a big step up for for an 18-year-old. And there's a reason why so few 18-year-olds come out of the gate flying um, as rookies. Yeah. Slot's big strength is, is not only that he's big, but also he's shot. And, and as Matt points out, Rua might be the guy to set that up. But, but 
is that really the best use of Newhook? We know he's played center in in Avalanche, but he hasn't really shine on that in in that position. Um, we, we will talk about this later, but it's still a little bit of just taking the top players of the top twenty five and twenty five and putting them on, in in order on onto a lineup. It, it's still not ideal to get the positions right in this case, and, and especially maybe with Newhook as a center. Is no, that- and I mean, Newhook, New I think I it sounds to me from what they've said anyways that they want to use him on the wing. They've said quite clearly that they're going to give him top six opportunities. Um, but based on what they've said, it kind of sounds like that's going to be on the wing. So there's one of two options, right? Either Doc would hypothetically come down center that second line and you just move Newhook, Newhook over to the right wing. And they could play it slaff with Doc and Newhook. Or Newhook gets an opportunity with Caulfield and Suzuki, which I think they're gonna try that at some point this season. They're gonna they're it's gonna be a trial and error process to figure out who that third is for Caulfield and Suzuki because they've tried almost everybody. You mentioned Anderson, they've tried him there. He works in spurts, but he doesn't work consistently enough to stay there regularly. They've tried Doc, but they've always needed Doc somewhere else in the lineup due to injuries. Um, I think they should try Joshua Gua at some point if he does in fact play any games with the Montreal Canadiens because I think he's got that profile, a little bit of size, ability to go into the corners and dig pucks out and playmaking ability that would work with Caulfield and Suzuki. So because I think there's going to be that trial and error process, I think multiple people are going to get cycled through that top line with Caulfield and Suzuki uh, and Newhook would be best served on the wing. Now, that being said, it, it might make some sense to bring Doc down to that second line. I uh, let him center it and put Newhook on the other side. I think that could work. You could also put Slough up there, and 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 you have a uh, yeah the, the line that yeah. we all spoke about after the draft last year. Yeah, and you could have Doc with New Hook and Roy. Basically, you could try that as well. But it's just they've acquired Alex Newhook for his talent, and um, we've seen what Martin Saint Louis and his coaching staff can do with developing young players. Uh, we've also seen, for example, Kirby Doc a year ago come in and haven't really. He, he didn't light it up in Chicago during the latter years, but put in the right setting, he was something completely different. And there is a possibility that Alex Newhook was mismanaged in, in Colorado as well. Colorado was going for, for the cup and they weren't really thinking about prospect development uh, at the same rate as the Habs are doing currently. So who knows? Alex Newhook may develop, uh, may have some underlying talents that that the management in, in Montreal has seen. And maybe they uh-huh. see a future for him as a centerman. At least he's played it. He has experience down the middle. And position positional versati- versatility is always great to have uh, when injuries hit. So uh, whether Alex Newhook will be down the middle or um, as a complementary player on the wing, I think he will add a lot going forward. I got to bring it up real quick before we move on to if you did use Newhook and give him that chance in the top line, hypothetically here, again, we're probably talking about the future because Joshua Huet projects to start in Laval. If you had a line of Slavkovsky, Doc, and Joshua Huet, that's going to be a nightmare to deal with. That's three pretty big players. I mean, Hua is the smallest player of the three, and he's six feet tall and about 205. You're not going to have a fun time playing against that line. you got a couple of guys who can go in and bang in the corners. Uh, Slavkovsky needs to work on keeping his head up, but still, he's a big boy. Not fun to deal with when he's leaning on you in the corner. That's a heavy, you know, if you could get them to work a really good cycle, that could be a nightmare line to deal with. Yeah, I just want to add to that. Like, obviously, we're doing the top twenty-five all-star team now. But can you yeah. imagine? Can you imagine a line with uh, Kirby Doc, Juraj Slavkovsky, and Josh Anderson? 
Yeah, that would be I mean, big. It, that would be properly same big. thing. That's a big, heavy line that uh, you know yeah. they can skate pretty fast, and you're you're really not going to want to get caught in a cycle by those guys if you can structure yeah. it right. Uh, which I think Martin Saint Louis has shown that he's got the ability to be a little bit flexible with how he uses his lines, uh, not necessarily playing that system, but like he said, just having uh, specific, you know, uh, triggers of where he wants people to go based on how the play is developing. Those three guys, that, that's a huge heavy line to deal with. Yeah. The, as as Anton mentioned, as I mentioned, as Matt probably has mentioned as well, but I don't keep tab on, on everything Matt says because it's all so smart. This is the top 25, under 25 all-star team. It's not the projection of, of, of lines, but you can see the first at least five names, but but maybe even Roy in some ways um, getting a chance down the line um, for, for these two top lines. But the rest of the lines are really prospects and, and they are not knocking on the door to the same degree. You got Rafael no. Harvey Pinard. Well, Harvey Be- Pinard, sorry, but Harvey Pinard is knocking on the door. Yeah. Well, yeah. but but with the with the well, with the trades that has happened, he he's probably knocking on the door, but he's also one that can be sent down to Laval. Yeah, yeah, he well, can absolutely. He, but he can, but he may have he may have kicked that door in last year. At, at this point with how he played. I mean, he was pretty effective even in minutes with Nick Suzuki on the top line. Yeah. And uh, when I was writing the profile for Nick Suzuki, um, one of the things I did was went to Puck IQ and I pulled like their, their QOC numbers, quality of competition. You could see that the only person who was playing more or almost the same amount against elite competition as Nick Suzuki was uh, Rafael Harvey-Pinot. So Rafael Harvey-Pinot comes up gets his first taste of NHL action. And it was out of the frying pan into the fire. It's like, you're going to be against the top line every night. And he did fantastically. We got that line with, with Pinar, Beck and, and, and Farrell. All three of them had games with Montreal last year. It's still a line for the future. I think it's an interesting line though. And it is what we have predicted in many ways with Beck as a center, maybe on topping out on the third, second line. It is because RHP gives you that, you know, that constant, you know, Brendan Gallagher style, you know, bottomless gas tank effort for checking goes to the net. Uh, Owen Beck gives you a lot of defensive responsibility with some offensive upside that appears to be kind of still untapped at this point. And, uh, and Farrell, uh, you know, he's, he's good pretty much everywhere in the ice. He's got a great 200 foot game, uh, maybe lacking a little bit in terms of size, but certainly makes up for it in terms of hockey IQ and ability to drive play. Um, like you said, I think this is more of something for the future. RHP, uh, I, I think he has a shot at potentially even being another name that might get consideration to be on the top line with Coffee yeah. and Suzuki at some point. Um, like we said, you know, he was, he's definitely knocking on the door. If not, he's already broken that door down and he's ready to really take a spot in the NHL permanently. Um, but that, that's a line that you absolutely could be looking at in the future. Um, I, I, I don't think that anything is set in stone, even for this year, let alone two, three years down the road. So it's entirely possible you could see a line like that um you know maybe a few years down the road from now yeah it's not um if we uh, just think back a couple of years uh montreal had a first line consisting of philip dano flanked by uh brendan gallagher and tamash tatar uh yeah. it's not completely different from that one with owen beck taking the dano part but we always said about philip dano as well that he would be best suited if he was a really like on, on a top heavy team on a on a good playoff team he would be really great as a third line center if you have Owen Beck coming into that sort of position, uh, and then you have Rafael Harvey Pinal, who who in many ways have uh, similar aspects to his game um, that uh, as Brendan Gallagher, 
then you all you need is someone who can actually you know provide um, provide the passes for for Harvey Pinal and as a secondary scorer and and you have a pretty interesting line there. It's an interesting line in that regard, and it's also an upgrade about you know you mentioned going back a few years, but I'm thinking David Dachanet and Beck is a is a bit of an upgrade on him as well, even if he had a very successful hockey career. Bernet, I think, was a little bit more offensive minded. Um, now you could make the argument that, you know, getting stapled to Max Pacioretty for so long definitely benefited him quite a bit uh, in terms of his offensive numbers. But uh, I would say Beck is certainly an upgrade defensively. Beck, Beck really chokes off the neutral zone. He makes it very difficult, uh, particularly in junior, for anybody to get anything done against him. The offensive numbers do leave something to be desired, but uh, I think he's he's best suited this year going back to junior for one more year. He'll get a chance as well to probably play a significant role for Team Canada at the World Juniors. Um, and I think that's best for his development is to give him that opportunity because if they <clears throat> if they keep him, they can't send him down to Laval, of course. So I think the most we're going to see from Beck is maybe he gets a few games at the start of the season before they send him back to junior, but that's where he's best served. And he can continue working on on that. And maybe he can bring that offense up to a point where maybe he can have some more um, Dernet-esque numbers once he's ready to go. Okay, looking at the fourth line, that would be Kidney, Mashar, and Ilonen. Um, one up-and-coming player that really hasn't been liked by the community or and, and has gone under the radar after the draft last year. Kidney, that was up in Montreal. And Ilonen, that has never really stuck in Montreal. It's It's a weird line because it's the future, it's the present, it's maybe even, in Ilona's case, the past. This is a line you might actually see in Laval this year. I, I, I legitimately think that there's a possibility that you see at least two of these players playing together at some point. I think probably if you were going to do it, I think Kidney would be the center in that case over Meshar. Um, I can't be sure, certain about that. That's just a feeling. Uh, I think we have him listed as the center here, but I think Kidney would probably be the guy in the middle there. But you could legitimately see these three players playing together in Laval. This is an entirely possible uh, configuration. Now, that being said, you know, uh, Elanen, I think, has a chance of potentially earning himself a spot with the Habs. Uh, he's been around for a while. We've seen what he can do in Laval, and uh, he could definitely help the Montreal Canadiens power play that was pretty brutal last year. So I, I think he'll get a significant look at camp. Uh, but if he does end up uh, starting the year in Laval, I really think you could see those three together. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's interesting with Jesse Olenen because it always feels like he's been kind of, he's never taken the center stage. He's always been kind of an afterthought, but whenever he's been, well, uh, here in North America, he's always uh, performed better than expected. He has a great skating and he, he can have some secondary scoring and he hasn't looked out of place when he's been up in the NHL. So it's a huge addition for Laval if he starts the season there. Otherwise, I think he will do really well in a in a bottom six role with the Montreal Canadiens as a complimentary player. But, you know, he had some of that Paul Byron-esque uh, speed down the down the wing and and he's a smart player. So... As, as Matt said, he had something on the power play as well, which is something that Montreal needs dearly. So Kidney and Mejar, um, huge first seasons for them uh, playing pro hockey. It will be super, inter super interesting to follow them among a lot of other players in Laval um, and see what Jean-Francois Houl can, can do with their development because um, it's a big step from the OHL to the... Uh, 
uh, or the queue to uh, to the AHL. But we saw a player like William Trudeau come in and and uh, perform really well in Laval last year. So it's up to them to grab the opportunity. Obviously, we're speaking about you know what is about to happen in about a month's time, but. Uh, we're also looking at this from from the top 25 under 25 aspect are you guys surprised by any of the names on an all-star team like this is there anyone you thought would be in it when you think back no i'm not surprised by any of these names because they were the top 12 forwards voted for and i agree with that i was kind of surprised that emil heineman didn't sneak his way in there I mean, we saw what he did uh, last year in Laval. The, the guy was just scoring left, right, and center. Uh, I thought that, and I think this is not a knock against him that he fell a little bit and ended up at 21 uh, on the top 25 under 25. I think that was more a product of the, the really strong group around him. But I thought, you know, the the scoring rate that he had might have been enough to push him a little bit further up, and then maybe he would have cracked uh, that that all-star lineup there. The, the knock on his scoring rate was also that he scored with, what, 25% of his shots at one point. So, yeah. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. The God of Mischief is back and better than ever. Loki. 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 Wow. Great to see you again. Critics agree. Loki season two is marvelous. Great. And it's finally here. How much do you know? Let's assume I don't know much. A mind-bending adventure. Spectacularly cinematic. I've been waiting for a moment like this. It surpasses all expectations. A little over the top, don't you think? I thought it was spot on. Loki season two now streaming only on Disney Plus. Looking at the defense, Gula Reinbacher though could be a potential first pairing for Montreal sooner rather than later. It could absolutely. I, I th- still think that they would both benefit from having a more. Um, uh, an alternative beside them who is more mobile, maybe. Like, they are both really good skaters, but just someone who can complement them rather than do... Well, I, I kind of feel like they would be stepping on each other's toes a little bit. So having those two anchor each a top four, um, well, one of the top two uh, defensive pairings would be great. Here, obviously, they were the highest uh, rated um, defensemen for a reason. Um well, if you look at size, at least, Gouli being left, left-sided left and Reinbacher being right-sided. But yeah, Reinbacher, fifth overall pedigree. Gouli already looking like a pro NHLer when he's out there, um, if he can only stay healthy. Yeah, uh, super interesting players, both of them. Yeah, I mean, Gouli had to go from, you know, a WHL schedule to top four minutes. In the NHL, and I talked about the QOC numbers uh, when I was on the Nick Suzuki profile. We had the same thing looking at uh, defensemen. It was basically David Savard playing the most against elite uh, players, and then it was Gouli right behind him. Uh, and I think that played into him getting injured was having to go to that much tougher schedule, and not only having to go to a much tougher schedule, but going right to the top of the heap. I mean, he had that one game against the Penguins where he was basically stapled to Sidney Crosby's line for the entire game. Uh, and he did really well in that game, actually. It was um, it was kind of eye-opening to see how well he could do against such a you know an, an elite group of players against him. Um, he's capable of playing those minutes right now. Uh, Reinbacker, I, I think the, the team's plan seems to be let him go back to Switzerland, finish his school, which Patrick's mentioned a number of times that he's been very clear that he wants to finish school before he makes a jump to North America and starts playing pro hockey there. Uh, so I'd give him that one more year and I would put uh, Justin Barron on Gouli's other side. 
I think that works really well. And then you get the opportunity to, uh, I'll let Patrick tell you who the second pair would be. And then we can talk about why I think Rhinebacker is better on that one. <laughs> second pairing to no one's surprise. It's really one of them. You already mentioned it's, it's Baron. Uh, and and uh, the other one is Hudson. I think it would be a great pairing to watch. I don't think uh, defense would be their strong suit, though. Fantastic. But I can see and, and talking about moving Ryan Bakker down and Baron up in order to to maybe facilitate a better composed team. But but these are really when you're looking at the list that um, they, they are the top four defensive prospect. And and I can honestly say that I think. Baron might be forgotten in this case. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, yeah, well, I, th I think Justin Baron is a little bit forgotten. He still has the pedigree of being a first-round caliber prospect who was acquired in a trade, and and I still think that he's growing as a player. I, th I think that he looked quite quite good when he came up to the NHL um, compared to the, his first season. Um, I think that it was great for him to start in Laval last year, and it made him um grow into his role much more um and and that he was able to uh, um to just uh, continue on his uh good form when he came up from Laval to to Montreal and and actually add a little something um as both both on the power play and, and as a defensive um as a defensive player i think that Justin Barron will be um yeah, at least he will he will be an NHL player going forward, and and it's up to him to continue to develop. He's only what is he still only twenty two or how old is he? Twenty three, twenty two, something like that. He's he's not aging out next year anyway. That's what no. I'm sure about. I don't think he's forgotten. I think he was in danger of being that kind of forgotten guy uh, at the beginning of last year because he struggled a little bit even in Laval. But you see the trajectory, how much better he got throughout the year, and then once he came up to the Habs, he continued getting better on the Montreal Canadiens and Pat, you touched on it. And I think that's super important. If you had a Hudson Baron uh, pairing, yeah, they're going to struggle defensively for sure. But if you flip that, right, if you put Gooley with Baron Hudson with Rhinebacker, I don't think either of those pairings struggle defensively. Caden Gooley is very good as a shutdown player. Uh, he's also got offensive potential. We saw that last year and putting him with Baron. I think that's, that's a killer pairing. I think that could work. I think it's something that they absolutely have to try this year because Gouli with David Savard last year, it was rough. It was an offensive black hole. They were playing against very good competition, but it just didn't work. Um, so I don't, I don't want to see that again at all. I'd rather see David Savard playing with maybe with Mike Matheson to start the season. And I'd like to see Baron with Gouli right out the jump uh, on opening night. That's what I'd like to see as a pairing. And then the Hudson Rhinebacker one, again, very similarly, I think Rhinebacker can kind of play the ghoulie to Barron's Hudson and help that pairing be a little bit more responsible defensively while still being very threatening on an, on the offensive side, because it's two players that, you know, we saw their chemistry together at the at development camp. I, I think it's something that they need to continue exploring. And in the future, they might be able to run that pairing on the Habs. So then you have two pairings who have some offensive potential, but also they've got, you know, that good balance between the two. So they're going to be able to play in their own zone. They're gonna be able to play against the rush too. Looking at the third pairing, we have uh, Harris, uh, who is knocking on that door a little bit. Uh, but on the other hand, we have uh, Autumn Engstrom, who's grown tall and big over the summer. A very interesting pairing. I think that could actually also work in the NHL in two years time yeah engstrom he will have a bigger role with the team but also he's been not locked down as a, a defender on either side just yet 
they keep switching him depending on what the team needs and which pairing he's going to play with. Uh, very, very interesting. Uh, the season starts in 10 days, more or less, in Sweden. So uh, you'll get some uh, SHL games before the NHL starts, along with training camp before that. Any thoughts on that pairing, Anton? Uh, well, Jordan Harris is also kind of, we've talked about that before, that he's kind of a forgotten man as well. He he performed very well when you look at advanced metric, metrics and everything on a struggling Habs team last season. Um, and although not being as physically imposing as Kating Gouli or, or David Reinbacher, I still think he can be a guy who can let someone else flourish offensively beside him. So I think that a pairing of him and Autumn Engstrom would actually look quite good. Um, I, I think that Harris is the kind of guy that you need as a... He's also someone who can add a little bit of offense, but mainly he's a, a reliable guy who you can... Yeah, who, who, who can really make other uh, more offensively gifted players feel comfortable and um, to play their... Uh, their best game um, so so Harris is kind of an unsung hero and I think he would be he, he's one of those players who would probably he would not look out of place on a second pairing uh, but he would look really great on a third pairing and and he's one of the guys who I think will if the Habs become what we hope as a perennial playoff team he I think that he could be a great add uh, just to have as a third pairing anchor basically Engstrom was very impressive at the at dev camp as well. I got to note that because, I mean, I think everybody was focused on the chemistry between Hudson and Reinbacker, but Engstrom looked really good. Um, one more year in the SHL, I think he could be absolutely knocking on the door, similar to Harris. And Harris, for his part, he looked he was quite good for the Habs, like quietly good because he didn't have great offensive numbers or anything, but quietly good for the Habs last year. And I think he's going to be on his way to, to earning a roster spot this year. Yeah, and Harris, you, you say quietly good because you didn't see him make these huge errors either in, in any of the games. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes that's key, right? Sometimes yeah. the best thing you can say, especially on a, a team as bad as the Habs were last year, you know, they're a bottom five team, right? If you're not seeing the glaring errors, if you're not noticing him at all, that means he's probably doing all right because you'd be noticing those big errors. Yeah, you, you can't only have players who are electric, electrifying on your lineup. Like Lane Hudson is an electrifying player. We talked about, um, well, we've talked about, you know, Cole Caulfields and all, all that. We will get to guys like Logan Mayu uh, in a minute. Uh, that's also like, they, they have that electrifying potential, but you need these kind of like safe, boring players as well who can make the others actually flourish. And I think Jordan Harris could be that kind of guy. Yeah, and you mentioned Mayo, and he is the seventh defender on this roster. The thought process with Mayu is really two ways. Either he's coming in and being your first overall defender in for ages to come, or he becomes a power play specialist. Yeah, it's entirely possible. In, but you know what? Now you mentioned power play specialists. The Habs could really use a few power play specialists with how bad they've been. Hey, they have years. Chris Weidman is there, so it's no problem. Chris Weidman. All right. Well, if he's the power play specialist, I'm going to go ahead and just hibernate for the next couple of years until he's not. Yeah, and, and we have joked about the power kill for for since you and I started arguing about prospects uh, match. So that's what, oh, two years going down now, right? It's been a while. It's been a while. When's the last time that the Habs had a, an effective power play? I think in spurts with P.K. Subban out there. Um, in spurts with Shea Weber at times, just because he had that elite shot. 
Um, really, the last time I think they had a lethal power play was the the Sheldon Surrey years. <laughs> At least where you could count on it to to be good all the time. Uh, Mayudo, we mentioned it in the podcast with uh, Brock Orton, hasn't really been helped by the um, defensive structure for the Knights, and and it'll be interesting to see what he can achieve in the AHL this year. Um, looking at the goalies, there are two unsung heroes and two unknown heroes, really, because uh, Fowler and Dolbich are the two goalies in this all-star team. And it's also an interesting selection because Primo has fallen off. Yeah. Um, look, there's there's always some of those players in the top 25, under 25. We've seen it. Uh, we saw it also this year with um, Matthias Norlander. Um, you can fall off pretty quick if you don't do enough to hold on to your spot or to advance. And I think that's kind of the problem with Caden Primo is, you know, he just hasn't done enough in Laval. He had a good playoff run, one good playoff run, unfortunately in the AHL is not enough. And we look at last year, he was, he was fine. Was he good enough to hold on to his spot? No. Uh, I was a little bit surprised that Fowler ended up ahead of Dobish. Um, I thought, you know, Dobish is going to get a legitimate chance this year to, to really run the show in Laval. I think he's going to be the number one and Primo's going to be number number two so he's gonna get an opportunity to prove to everybody what he can do it should be pretty exciting to see him uh i don't know enough about fowler honestly i haven't actually seen him play personally uh, i'm looking forward to seeing what he does with boston college this year he's got good numbers in the ushl so uh look this is still part of that it's going to be a long process looking for the next carry price um and they may not find the next carry price but it's who can who can be the closest to what yeah. carry price was at his peak yeah, obviously, like look, looking at this goalie lineup, it's a lot of uh, hope, mainly. Um, we don't know what Jacob Fowler or Jakob Dobish could be uh, at a professional level yet. Uh, the main reason why Caden Primo isn't there is that people have sort of given up on him as being the future yeah. first first choice netminder for the Habs. Perhaps he can grow into something like a Samuel Montembeau if he continues to, you know, if he takes a few steps forward. Because we've seen Montembeau came come into Montreal as um, as a waiver wire pickup basically, and as a twenty four year old, and uh, he has really grown. So. All hope shouldn't be lost on Caden Primo, and I I still think that he deserves a place on this All Star team. I still think that he should be ahead of Fowler and Dobish as of presently. Uh, but then I also agree that I think that we probably know just about what we have with him. In but with Fowler and Dobish, we we still hope for one of them to turn into uh, the second coming of Carey Price or or. Uh, another Habs legend. Uh, I, I want to mention, because I don't think uh, Chris Peters got enough credit for it, but in the podcast about the draft, um, I think we, uh, Fresh Prince of Montreal, I think I call it, because we're talking obviously about Will Smith. Um, he predicted that Fowler would be one of the top goalies out of the draft, and he had some really, really good things to say about him. I think partly is obviously me ranking Primo at, what, 51 or something like that. Uh, because I completely gave up on him. Uh, but Fowler is also the new toy syndrome. It's it's something fun. Uh, it's also the, the box syndrome. Uh, he can be anything. He can be Carey Price, but he can also be, you know, the next Primo. So you don't know. And you're ranking from maybe your hope, as Anton says, or or, or the mystery box that, that 
we all agree upon. Um, how, all, like, how often does anybody? How often does anybody really get goalies right? You yeah, know? it's it's woodoo, like, you know. We know that. <laughs> even when the Habs drafted Carey Price fifth overall, there was a lot of people looking at you, Pierre McGuire, uh, who didn't like that pick at all. I remember. Yeah, and, and, I remember. I still remember the day when it happened. I was at Cupola Sports in Niagara Falls. I was getting fitted for my new skates. I was going back to AAA that year, and I, I stood up and celebrated because I was so happy they picked Carey Price. And my dad was sitting there, and he's like, "What are they doing?" My dad was pissed. He didn't think that. Yeah, but we, we also have all those players or all those people that were saying that we should trade Carey Price after uh, Halak's yeah. fantastic run in the 2010 playoffs, right? Yeah, yeah, but, yeah, exactly. And speaking of what what you said about like you can never know about goalies, like the the just the year before Montreal selected Carey Price, the New York Rangers selected Al Montoya sixth overall. So yeah. Al Montoya <laughs> obviously didn't work out. Uh, we all know about Rick DiPietro and his infamous contract, yeah. for example. And then just three years after Rick DiPietro, the Penguins selected Marc Andre Fleury, who like looks like a Hall of Famer for sure. So. You never know. Uh, and the Oak Rangers could, picked another Hall of Fame yeah, in the it, seventh round. Yeah, uh, it could be know. a Hen- Henrik Lundqvist who, you know, comes out of nowhere. Montreal selected three goalies in this draft, and we have no idea who is the most, um, who will be the best goalie in five years' time. Um, they, take what, the, they take the longest to develop. They take the yeah, longest to develop, yeah. so you pick them and you, you work on it. And, yeah. like, honestly, the fact that you had somebody early in the draft means nothing. No. All right. Um, the one question that, that we have touched upon, and, and I, I just want you both to give a reason to keep Dach on the wing and another reason to keep Dach in the center uh, to, to finish off this podcast. And let's start with you, Anton. Yeah, the main reason is that uh, quality centers uh, who have both skill and size are difficult to come by. And if you have such an opportunity in Kirby Dach, it's it may be worth sacrificing him as a complementary player on the first line with Caulfield and Suzuki. And still, even if he were to be 5% better in the winger spot next to Suzuki, it would still be worth, the, worth to have a really good second line center if he can be that. Um, sacrificing a little bit of offensive potential, perhaps, but still having someone who can anchor a second line for years to come. Um, Montreal currently... And they they bet a little bit of uh, draft, um, well, what do you capital. say? Like yeah, draft capital on Christian Dvorak, for example. When uh, when Kotkaniemi left, it hasn't really worked out as they were hoping. Um, so Montreal's still looking for that long term solution as um, as Suzuki's second, yeah. Well, the the guy who's going to anchor the second line, basically. Owen Beck could also be that guy going forward if he keeps developing, especially his offense. But Kirby Doc looks like the best solution um, Mm. as of present. Matt, a counter on that? Look, I, I got to sit on the fence a little bit because I'm I'm not 100% sold either way. I think if you if you're looking at putting him on the wing, what what's the main reason why you would want to do that? Well because he's the only guy who appears to be able to work consistently with Caulfield and Suzuki based on all of the options that they've tried so far. Again, they've tried Josh Anderson. It works in small samples. It does not work consistently. Um, Rafael Harvey-Pinal looked okay with uh, 
Nick Suzuki during the season, but that was after Caulfield was hurt. We don't, we have no idea if he works with Caulfield over there as well. And that would be a pretty small line uh, that could hypothetically get pushed around by bigger players. We just don't know who works there other than Doc. Doc is the one guy that appears to work pretty consistently with those two. And they also had a pretty small sample size last year. So who knows over a longer sample, maybe he's the absolute best option that they have to play on that other wing. Now to the other side of the fence, because again, I'm going to sit on the fence here. Uh, I agree with what Anton said, having a really good, you know, big body second line center is a desirable thing to have. He could potentially be a really effective one B to Suzuki's one A. And if you have that kind of a configuration, instead of having a clear number one, a clear number two, you've got a one A and a one B and you can run them against anybody that you want. That is invaluable as this team gets to the other side of the rebuild and starts looking to get back to competing because you're you're running two very good lines and then all you got to do is hope that Owen Beck can ascend to that you know really good defensive third line center role and all of a sudden you got three lines deep that you can run anytime you want and uh, and you could be a problem for almost any team in the NHL with that kind of a configuration so that would be a desirable reason to leave him at center and again if if he's the only guy that works with Caulfield and Suzuki that's your main reason to keep him on the top line of the wing. There you have it. You've been listening to the top 25, under 25. I think it's about 30 episodes. We so appreciate you listening. We're so appreciative of you leaving comments on you promoting us on other websites or uh, leave a comment or a rating on your podcast platform. Everything is appreciated. We thank you so much and we're all looking forward to the real season. of postage rate increases this year with stamps.com it's like your own personal post office sign up with promo code program for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale no long-term commitments or contracts that's stamps.com code program